Sugar Daddy Jerome making it rain. QE till infinity is here, folks. Gold has reacted. Walmart will no longer sell e-cigarettes, but you can still buy real Regular cigarettes. cigarettes. Absolutely. Colt stops making the AR-15s for civilians, but the military, of course, will still get their fill. Justin Trudeau um, getting himself in some hot water. UFOs are real. The world is so crazy. Nobody seemed to care. This is episode 37 of Bizarro World. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, how are you, sir? Uh, either living in a simulation or it's getting extremely bizarre out there. I haven't figured it out yet. How are you? I, 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 I'm running with Mr. Elon Musk's theory that this is all simulation. I think it, at this point, I think it has to be either that or this is going to be um, the most epic turning. And we talk about fourth turnings a lot here, but this is going to be um, one of the most epic ones. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it will absolutely be eventful. Um, a lot going on again in a week where the Navy has confirmed that they have footage showing UFOs um, that didn't even really gain any traction. And I, I'm, I'm actually going to start there. So there were three videos that were posted online that have been described um, as being related to UFO sightings. And, you know, you, you get the audio, you get the video. We'll post the link up. Um, this wasn't, you know, a, 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 a civilian person on a plane recording some stuff. You know, these were U.S. Navy pilots. These were... Um, people that are trained to spot this stuff out. And so the Navy spokesman for the U.S. actually confirmed that, yes, these are unidentified flying objects. But here's where the whole 1984 doublespeak stuff comes in, right? They didn't call them UFOs. They called them unidentified aerial phenomena. <laughs> right because somehow and maybe it worked because somehow it didn't it didn't really catch on i would think this is kind of a big deal um i don't know any thoughts nick isn't this is this an extension of the navy pilots we already knew uh were publicly reporting seeing ufos i feel like the story has been around for a bit and just can't get any traction despite the fact that you got navy pilots <laughs> saying they're seeing stuff in the air that they've never seen before um so, I mean, what are my thoughts? Yeah, we don't know what it is. Is it extraterrestrial? I mean, that's what everyone wants to know, right? Is it aliens? Well, we don't know. UFO just means that it's unidentified. But certainly over the past, I want to say it's been like two years, there have been confirmed reports from respected individuals saying this stuff is going on. I feel like I'd have to do some Google searching, but I feel like just a, a couple of two months ago, there was a story about some big object over the U.S. that no one knew what it was. And, and that story wasn't gaining much traction either. And so, you know, I'm going to take it kind of esoteric, I guess, and say that the world is so fucked up that, you know, you got something that would normally turn heads like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or UFOs that nobody really cares about. But instead, they want to talk about, you know, pretending to storm Area 51 on social media. That seems to get a lot more traction <laughs> than actual fucking UFOs. So priorities, people, priorities. And, and, and again, um, we usually start and lead with the markets, but the world is so crazy and bizarro right now that we're going to lead with some of the other stuff that just makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, Walmart deciding to stop selling e-cigarettes in the wake of, you know, and, 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 and not to, not to, um, you know, don't hedge, any... don't hedge, don't hedge, don't hedge, say it's fucked up. 
It is absolutely fucked up, but not for the reasons you think. It's fucked up because they're still selling the cigarettes. So, right. you know, we have, we have real cigarettes that give cancer to people and kill, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And now we have e-cigarettes, um, which, you know, have killed like has six sickened, people, maybe. Right. And, and, and 530 people have gotten sick. And, and great. Uh, I, I, I applaud the CDC for trying to get ahead of this thing. Um, kudos to them. But if you're going to no longer sell something because of how deadly it could be, how about you stop selling the thing that's really deadly where the science is irrefutable um, and hundreds of thousands of people have died? So I was having this conversation with uh, somebody this week who I know to be a former smoker and vapor about how they felt about um, the recent vaping deaths and the media coverage and the government response. And first I'll give you this person's take and then I'll give you my take. This person says, since I quit smoking cigarettes and started vaping, I feel much, much better. I feel healthier. My body feels better. It was a great alternative for me, not inhaling uh, cigarette smoke. Um, he went on to say that um, some of the things we just said, it's only killed six people. It's been, um, at least what I read so far, kind of isolated to, to vitamin E acetate, specifically in like black market or shady vape cartridges. And so to outright ban the whole thing because six people have died, just it doesn't pass the logic test, right? Because of what you just said about real cigarettes and and, and let's throw alcohol in there, right? We know how many people cigarettes and alcohol kill, um, not just from um, damage it does to your body, but from getting behind the wheel after you had something to drink and taking it and, and killing someone that, that didn't have a drink at all and alcohol is still legal. So for me as a libertarian, uh, as someone who likes logic, it doesn't really make sense to say let's ban these cigarettes when, when, um, or let's ban vaping when cigarettes and alcohol is illegal. And I'm going to take this to, uh, on a turn that you didn't expect because right before we hopped on here, I was reading an article by plot, plot twist. Everybody, here it comes. This is why Nick's the, the 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 intellect and the interesting one on the podcast. By Andrew, him, Nick. By Andrew Sullivan, and he was talking about um, ah. kids and gender and how. At six and seven and eight years old now, we're letting these kids or parents are, are making these kids, I guess. He said, so let's say it's a boy who's seven years old who thinks he's a girl or, or thinks he's gay or identified as a girl. They're giving these kids like puberty blockers and like hardcore drugs and stuff at six and seven years old. And that's okay because it has to do with like gender identity and politics, right? But a fucking okay, hold on, year old hold on, hold on, can't smoke a that, cigarette? There's a lot to unpack there. Before you go on, we can't just gloss over puberty blockers. <laughs> you can't mm -hmm. say puberty blockers to me and not expect me to ask you about it the fuck is a puberty blocker so i don't even know i was just reading about it before we hopped on here but let me let me find it for you and i and i will try to tell you i'll read you the sentence um so this is mr andrew sullivan he's writing in uh ny mag and he says yep. in the case of merely confused or less informed kids the consequence the consequences of treatment can be permanent many of these pre-puber Prepubescent trans-identifying children are put on puberty blockers, drugs that suppress a child's normal hormonal, hormonal development and were originally designed for prostate cancer and premature puberty. The use of these drugs for gender dysphoria is off-label and unapproved by the FDA. And so if you're progressive... Uh -huh. And you think a seven-year-old boy should be a girl, he can get puberty blockers. But if you're 17 and you want to vape, you can't fucking do that. And so it's just a logic clusterfuck for me that I can't get across. 
it's crazy out there. Um, it's crazy out there. We're 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 gonna get into um, Japanese whiskey a little bit later on, I believe. I I don't think we touched on it last week, and I know we wanted to talk about it. We're gonna talk about Colt stopping ma- the making and the production of AR-15s for civilian purposes. Um, and we're going to talk Justin Trudeau briefly and Amazon electric vehicles, but let's switch gears to the market. I've said for years, (laughs) you've said for years, I think anybody that's been in our space has known the way that this is going to go. Um, it's going now, it's going to be QE till infinity and going back to my original comment about the Navy saying, oh, we're not going to call them UFOs. We're going to call them whatever the heck I said that they are calling them. It's the double speak, right? So The Fed has decided that it's going to go ahead and inject billions and billions. I'm not talking one and two. I'm talking, you know, 75 billion into the financial markets on Friday. I'm talking, you know, another hundred something coming in the next couple of weeks. This is quantitative easing, guys. This is QE. This is, I don't care what name you want to assign to it. Um, (laughs) The bond market's in trouble, and and, and and if you think that the U.S. is going to get the worst of it, I got news for you. This is going to cause sovereign defaults across the world, and the Fed's trying to get ahead of it. It's trapped. It's trapped. Europe's trapped. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a mess. So a little context. Short-term rates shot up as high as 10% at the beginning of this week, and of course, the threat was to the bond market. And the overall lending system. The big threat is the bond market. And so what it's doing is, is the Fed is now going to offer a series of daily and 14-day term overnight, quote-unquote, air quotes, repurchase agreements, right? Of at least, get this, $30 billion each. It also announced daily repos for an aggregate amount of at least $75 billion each until October the 10th. Um That screams volatility to me. I know that you put out a note to subscribers of, I believe, Early Advantage, your premium newsletter, um, where you bought uh, the VIX, and I think you made a quick 10% and flipped it in one day. Is that accurate? Did I do that? I'm like Steve Urkel. Um, Yes, I did that. We we bought it yesterday (laughs) at $12 flat, and surprise, surprise, something about China and pigs. I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but that was back in the news this morning and they walked away from the yep. table and TVIX, we played the triple leverage because we're insane idiots. Um, it went back, it went over 13 <laughs> in, in less than 24 hours. And so 12 to 1330 or something is, is good work if you can get it in my book. And so that's like an annual return of the stock market, right? Absolutely. And again, this comes, so the, the, the new QE, all this, you know, these cash injections, this hasn't happened by the way, guys, since the global financial crisis 10 years ago. Right. Um, and this comes after the quarter point cut that the fed announced the, uh, <laughs> I mean, the dominoes are starting to fall. Everybody keep some powder dry, get some exposure to precious metals and the quality names in the space. Um, if you haven't already done so, we're talking our own book, of course, but this is a book that's going to prove very, very profitable. Um, any thoughts on the Fed's intervention? Is this something that you see as a one-off for a month? Or do you believe that this will continue indefinitely as I do? I believe they'll just keep changing the names. Have you ever seen the movie Coming to America? 
course. One of my favorite movies. So it I'm the is, son of immigrants. It, <laughs> I grew up in yeah, I grew up in Chicago. The movie set in New York. It was 1987. I love Eddie Murphy. Yes, I've seen it. I'm familiar. So it is my favorite movie. It is not one of my favorite movies. Coming to America, number one. Princess Bride, number two, which they're talking about remaking this week, which is total blasphemy, but that's for another oh, podcast. I was say, so <laughs> let's talk about Coming to America and what makes a joke funny. There's a scene in that movie um, about three quarters of the way through when they've blown through all their money, right? Um, Arsenio Hall, whose name is Simi in the movie, went out and bought a hot tub for their apartment, sort of pimped out their apartment. They're out of cash. And he goes to send a telegram to the king of Zamunda requesting more money. And um, <laughs> he's requesting like a couple hundred thousand dollars for like pocket change, right? And the, the Brooklyn uh, telegram agent behind the booth in a thick New York accent says, you think that'll be enough? And that's the, <laughs> that's the joke, right? Do you think that'll be enough? Yep. That's the joke because it's obviously enough fucking money to sustain yourselves on. And he's like, do you think I should ask for a million? <laughs> and so that, it's like the Fed, right? It's like, I want to look at like Jerome Powell and be like, you think that'll be enough? Like, why not negative rates? Why not like a fucking trillion dollar bond buying program? Like you guys are fucked. And like, that's the joke, right? That's what makes things funny. Like that's why the coming to America joke worked because it was so obvious that that was enough money. And that's why this Fed action is funny because it's so obvious that they, they've lost control and that they're out of bullets and that they can't control things because clearly their overnight repo rate just went off the off the rails this week when it's supposed to be closer to 2% and it went up to 10%. That's not normal, folks. Trying to normalize and rationalize it and coming up with big words like quantitative, quantitative easing and bond repurchasing and overnight repossession market. Let me put it in layman's terms. The financial system is fucked. Agreed. And, and for those of you that are doubtful that you think, okay, it's Nick and Gerardo ranting on a podcast um, called Bizarro World, it can't be that bad. I encourage you to just click on the link that we're going to provide to you and scroll down to the article, scroll down the article to the bottom. And there's a, there's a, there, there's a slide in there that's from the Fed and the slide shows the language and the terms and the maturity date of these things. And I'm not making this up. It, it doesn't even have fixed numbers, Nick. You know, for, <laughs> for, for Tuesday, September the 24th, it doesn't say 75 billion overnight and 30 billion for the 14 day term ending on 10-8-2019. It says at least 75 billion, at least 30 billion. Um, so yeah, to tie it all in with coming to America, this is at least what it takes to keep the royal penis clean. Mm, I was Joan of Arc in a former life. <laughs> it's crazy, guys. Um, let, let, let's talk gold. Gold uh, bounced back uh, very, very, very well. It seemed like it was headed down to touch those you know, 1485 levels that we said were so critical. It made a nice U-turn on a couple of things. I think the volatility in the bond market was one. I think the second thing obviously was the fact that it sounds like China and the U.S. all of a sudden are not getting along again for what seems like the umpteen time. I think, again, the main theme here, everyone, is volatility, and volatility is good for gold. I do believe at some point there's going to be a false sense of stability, and maybe these uh, these at least $30 billion um, issues 
from the Fed are, are, are going to stabilize things for, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. But that's an illusion. That's not sustainable. And um, neither are trade wars. So expect a lot of volatility. And that's all good for gold. And I think we're, we're, we're off to real, real new highs in the gold price after this next little pullback happens. Gold looks very strong. Um, easily back to 1515 today with only uh, a brief soft pullback. Just just looking like it wants to go higher. Um, just haven't had the move in the juniors. We've discussed that multiple times. They're starting to put in the legwork, had some good calls with people today, getting drill bits ready, identifying targets. I'm really looking for it. And also, um, I guess one sentiment I heard on a call today was that uh, Junior's going around looking for money and they're kind of getting some uh, a bit of acceptance from generalists, but smart generalists, which you would like put in quotes and say, this is smart money, but they're not resource smart money. They're just generalists and they're coming back into the sector now, which is a good sign. But this person was saying they haven't seen really retail come back in and it's retail that obviously drives stocks higher. Right. And so um, we're getting the generalists back in now, the quote unquote smart money generalists, right, doing a little private placements, trying to get back into the space, trying to sort out what's what, who's got recent PEAs, who's real, not, not real. And then so it's just a function of time, right, until um, I don't really like the term trickle down, but until it trickles down into the retail space where, where, where those folks are finally at a point where they want to buy um, not just gold, but gold equities. And so. Um, I think the trajectory is healthy and, and it's a new gold bull market and we just have a little bit of patience. It is. And for the contrarians amongst you, um, I, I, I encourage everyone um, to take a look at the better names in the copper space. Uh, there was news earlier this week, Amazon, um, you know, this isn't a company that make, makes headlines for headlines sake. If they say they're going to order 100,000 electric delivery trucks, um, as part of its uh, ongoing carbon neutral by 2040 goal, they're going to order at least 100,000 um, electric delivery trucks. And so, you know, the takeaway is you need a lot of copper. Um, you're going to need lithium. You're going to need a bunch of things that need to be mined. And um, it's, it's, the trend is clear. We've had a pullback in the lithium space. I think that presents an opportunity for the better names. We've obviously had a pullback in the base metal space. I think there's a heck of an opportunity there. We had a pullback that is starting to turn back around now in the uranium space. I think we should get clarity next month on that aspect of the market. So a lot of dominoes again lining up. So where the bond market looks like it's falling apart all around the world, um, the commodity market to me just is screaming bargain all across the board. So pick some names and uh, throw a dart and, and hold them for a little bit. And I think there's some good money to be made. And you don't got to really take on a lot of risk, which I think is an important point. You and I, Gerardo, love the juniors and we do a lot of speculation, but that's not all I own. I also uh, write a front end newsletter where I've recommended companies like Franco Nevada and Wheaton Precious and 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 some mid-tier companies like Taranga. And we've done we've done very, very well. And the company that made me want to start talking about this real quick on this podcast is tech. I mean, if you think that we need some um higher copper prices and that, you know, the electrification of everything and batteries, et cetera. I mean, tech's got, you know, four operating mines. They've got Cabrata Blanca and they've just been penalized because they're primarily 
seen in the market as a coal and, and oil company. But, um, you know, shares a couple months ago at 25 bucks or, or 17 bucks today. So you don't got to go out there looking for a 50 cent stock per se when you can go out there and buy tech with a P.E. of five and get yourself a little one percent dividend as well. I tell you what, <laughs> if you're in the eurozone, that one percent dividend sounds mighty healthy. Uh, so I'm going to keep going now because um, I'm talking to a couple other people today. It looks like some other, excuse me, uh, production companies are going to try to increase dividends as well. I was reading a bit about Agnico wanting to to increase their dividend and a couple of other companies. And so, um, again, another sign of a bull market, another sign that companies are looking to attract new shareholders, another sign, or maybe not another sign, but a sign that perhaps some lessons have been learned in the resource market over the past decade of leanness, where some of these uh, bigger operators are, I don't want to say lean and mean, but perhaps trimmed a bit and are in a position to perhaps pay a dividend as the price of the commodities they produce rises, but their costs stay the same. And so it's fun to be having these conversations, by the way. It's fun to be having these conversations. Absolutely. And, and and again, I think it just back to the bond market, right? It speaks to the better executives in the mining space recognizing that there is going to be an all out chase for yield. And we're not talking traditional yield, you know, four or five, six percent like the good old days. I think people are going to be blessed and happy if they can get one or two percent and, uh, you know, the poss- potential for and possibility for capital gains on top of it. Right. That'd be the cherry on top. Yep. And it's it's a bunch of companies, like I say, I think Sabanye is looking back into paying a dividend. And so it's here, folks. Is that the future of mining companies, the mid-tiers and the majors? Oh, is it the future? God, I don't like crystal ball stuff. But look, in a good market, the, the answer is yes. If you're generating, you know, uh, positive cash flows, healthy operating cash flows, and um, you're in a position to, to reward shareholders, then I think yes. And especially, as you said, in a, in a, in a, in a low yield environment, that becomes, that becomes a, a big carrot to get someone to buy your shares over someone else's. Not only do you get uh, the exposure to the commodity and the, uh, the capital gain upside, the appreciation, but then you get a dividend as well. I think it, it makes all the sense in the world. Do you think that's a way for an effective way for mining companies to try to extract capital from the ETFs and the passive investing vehicles that have sucked capital out of um, the active investors and speculators amongst us. That was the part of the that was a part of the conversation I was having today. And yes, you can buy the GDX, you can buy the GDXJ, but you don't get any yield. You're paying a, a management fee. And so if you can, I mean, gosh, there's not that many quality companies anyway, as you and I know, Gerardo, so you can make your own sneaking ETF, right? And that's what people should be doing, maybe by subscribing to newsletters of people that write about these things. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, Another commodity-related story that obviously has um, societal and geopolitical ramifications is the potential for an all-out war between Iran and Saudi Arabia with the obvious proxies, right? The U.S. and everything else that that entails. Um, You and I have not spoken about this. I would love to hear your thoughts on the very targeted and coordinated attack and effective, I might add. Um, you know, we're talking, what was it? Seven cruise miss- missiles were launched in the assault. Three missiles failed to hit their targets. The other four hit the targets. I think there were 18 drones used. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. I don't think I have well-formed thoughts if 
um, I'm being honest. What I have seen um, is that one, there's not a lot of great information out there and, and truly transparent information. We just had Saudi Arabia um, yesterday or the day before try to make the case that it was uh, Iran, and that was four or five days after the events. Another thing that struck me weird, and sorry, this is going to be sort of scattered. This is just you know, verbal diarrhea, what I think about this is it happened last Saturday, right? And, you know, you and I are glued to, to Twitter and, and whatever it is. And so, you know, within seconds of this happening, the world knows that it happened or anybody that's paying attention, right? But then it's sort of, it sort of disappeared for the next two days because, in my opinion, because markets were closed. And I really didn't, it wasn't like a Twitter trend. It, like This is, should be a number one t- Twitter trend within like 45 seconds, right? Didn't become a trend on Twitter. I didn't see a lot of stuff about it. Sunday, still nothing. But then Monday I get up and I, I, I start looking at the news and what's trending. And, and then there it is. On Monday morning, it's back. It's a number one trend. And it's like, wait, when markets are about to open, it's been two days. And now we're putting this back in a trend. It's like just the, the flow of information and the way it was covered. And, and when the, the, the event itself became popular in the, in, the, in the news cycle was just all off to me. And then initial reports, and I'm not, I'm not going to hedge. I'm just going to tell you what I think. Initial reports were all over the place. It's the Houthis, right? It's those goddamn yep. Houthis. <laughs> like, I don't with, know. With the, with, the, with the cruise yeah. missiles and the 18 drones. Right, exactly. And then, so, well, I didn't even hear anything about missiles at first. It was just drone attack, right? Drone attack and Houthis. And then it's missiles in Iran. And then it's, oh, uh, the missiles went through Iraq. It could be Iraq. And then it's, no, Iran sent the missiles through Iraq because to, to throw off the trail. And it's like, man, y'all need to get your story straight and really put the narrative forward because no one's believing whatever y'all trying to get them to believe. And so um, let me take a step back and, and let's go to the killing of Kashkagi a couple of, of months ago and, and mm. how brutal the regime of Saudi Arabia truly is and the fact that they're not really our ally. They just buy our support. Um, where do I want to go with that? And then I want to talk about Epstein for one second. And you and I have talked mm. about that in depth on this podcast and how um, you know, the world sort, sort of looks at it now as not even a tinfoil hat. They just look at it and they say, yep, that was a conspiracy. That guy needed to die because he was going to out a bunch of people. And so just look at these events of the past couple of months, the Epstein thing, the Kashkagi thing. And it's like, you really think at face value, people are looking at this and, th- and saying it's Iran. Everyone I've talked to, and including myself, looks at this and says, false flag. Yep. Agreed. Agreed 100%. It has ramifications in the commodity space. Um, again, the, the, the ramification is increased volatility, right? Which is, um, again, there's, it presents an opportunity if we want to talk just making money. There's obviously real human um, cost associated with it. So it's, um, I think that's where we're headed globally. There's going to be increased volatility that allows for the better informed and bold um, to make vast sums of money. And it's going to be at the expense of the bulk of the people that really have absolutely nothing to do with it, which, you know, is a tragedy in itself, but it all points in that direction. Am I wrong on that, Nick? No, not at all. And another thing that has changed is just the simple dynamics of the oil market. If this had happened 10 years ago, I think you see $100, $150 oil overnight. But but that wasn't the case here. Um, the case here was that um, really only Brent increased and really only for a short period of time. WTI didn't really see the same spike because our, our crude here is lighter and sweeter. And we produce a lot more of it than we did 10 years ago. If, you, if you've been paying attention, you know that 
Um, all these fracking basins are online. The U.S. produces enough oil to technically be self-sufficient, the most we've produced in decades. And, and, and so you don't see um, we're insulated from from what happened in Saudi Arabia last weekend. There's been no price spikes at the at the gas pump. There's there's been really no um, continued coverage of it. It sort of disappeared from from the market headlines. And and the only reason I bring that up is to tell you that markets change and 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 the people who produce our commodities, um, at least the majority of them, those ebb and flow as well. And so whereas 10 years ago we would have been 60 percent reliant on um, these numbers are close, but they're probably not exact 60 percent reliant on 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 foreign oil, the bulk of which is coming from Saudi Arabia. Now that has changed. And I say all that to say there are other spaces in the commodity sector where that is not the case. I'm thinking of and let's tie it back to lithium. Right. If the future is a lithium, if Amazon is buying 100,000 um, electric vehicles um, and you can blow up Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure without really a lot of um, consequences in the price of oil in the market. Um, I know I'm not tying this together well, but here's what I'm going to say. What are the things you need for for batteries? The rare earths, the mm. the lithiums, the manganese, the nickel, and so and so. What are the commodities that that countries are trying to get a stranglehold on now? Oil is sort of like it's not an afterthought. Obviously, the global economy is still based on oil, but there's a lot of countries that produce oil now, and and specifically the U.S. producing a lot. Um, have I have I made a point there? Was that clear at all? But so now what you're seeing is China trying to lock up rare earths, China trying to lock up lithium. It's a it's the world is changing, folks. Is what I'm saying. The oil is not as important going forward. Makes perfect sense. Is compressed air energy storage the next the next big mega trend? I was going to ask if Amazon is going to power all those cars with compressed air. I know uh, you want to talk about compressed air. It's so trite and tiring, Gerardo. I really don't want to talk about it, but of course I'm going to. And so today I'm scrolling through, or maybe it was yesterday, and I see a tweet from Quartz, the uh, the media outlet Quartz, that says. Is storing energy in compressed air finally going to be the thing that allows renewable electricity to become cheap enough for the big time? And immediately I'm thinking in my head, no, the fuck it's not because it, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work 10 years ago and it's not going to work now. And so I start scrolling through my emails and and sure enough, what do I find? Um, a paper in my email from 2008 from... It was either Columbia or Cornell University talking about how we were going to compress air and the companies involved. And then I went through my emails from 2008 that had compressed air in them. And, and sure enough, sure enough, Gerardo, in 2008, compressed air was going to be the thing that made renewable energies price competitive because we're going to use the solar and wind energy to compress the air, to pump it into caves. That way, when we need the electricity, we're going to reverse the flow of the air that we compressed in the caves to turn a turbine to then produce uh, electricity when the wind is not blowing and the sun is not shining. And so, um, no, it's, 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 I mean, <laughs> there's not money to be made. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. And so they admit that in the lead of the article, I'm just trying to find it now. They're saying that while lithium ion batteries have started to meet some of the need, um, they're not plentiful enough for large scale energy hoarding. And then it says, it goes on to say that this company started in 2010. Oh yeah, did they really start in 2010? That's exactly what I'm saying. No, these they, they never scale 
So like these companies, and there's been a couple of them, they'll get three or five million dollars to, to do a little pilot project and they'll do one. Uh, they'll compress air inside of a, a shipping container or something and then uh, use that the air that was in a shipping container to power a turbine. And so it works in principle, but it doesn't work when you scale it out. I mean, this has been used. Don't get me wrong. This, it's a viable idea. The physics behind it uh, are sound. It has been used in some cases to, to restart power plants by compressing air, but there has been no project in the past decade that comes anywhere close to being economically viable to scale up to use compressed air energy storage as a means for making renewable energy price competitive at uh, grid cost. So in other words, if you see a promo people out there <laughs> that says the next big mega trend is compressed air energy storage, this is the Amazon killer. Don't fucking click on it. Oh, <laughs> Keep last, your money. <laughs> last week, if you remember, we were going to use the renewable electricity to hoist concrete blocks up in the air. And then when they when they fall, then we're going to use the kinetic, stored kinetic energy to turn a turbine. It's 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 almost maddening. It is almost maddening. Um, let's talk about Colt stopping the making of AR-15s for civil civilian use, right? It's it's suspending the manufacturing of the AR-15, which of course is well, it's the weapon of choice for mass murderers, basically. And 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 you know whatever you feel about um, the AR-15 and the Second Amendment. This is a private corporation deciding to do what it said is what the market is telling it. They said it wasn't from pressure um, from politicians or anything like that. Um, they said the market for modern sporting rifles has experienced significant excess manufacturing capacity. Simple supply and demand story. I know politicians and yep. the ideologues amongst us tried to make it a left and right issue company CEO came out and said that absolutely wasn't it. Any thoughts there, Nick? I haven't dove deep into it. I saw the, the story yesterday. I think you framed it pretty well. It's a temporary suspension as they, as Colt said itself to focus on uh, production of those ARs for military purposes. They said they could return to producing them for the civilian market, but no, we talked about uh, Walmart CEO two weeks ago, I think it was um, saying that they were going to stop selling them and they were also going to stop selling handgun ammunition. And, and I, I suppose that's the, the right of an individual company. And so no, not a lot of thoughts. I, we, well, yeah, I have thoughts, I guess, you know, I do. Um, I, I think that <laughs> it, it could probably stoke demand, right? Because these are the sort of stories that make people run out and, and buy ARs all the time, right? Cold stops manufacturing AR. I guarantee there was a hundred folks yesterday who ran to their local Cabela's and bought an AR because of that article. And so, um, one, I, I don't worry about, but I think that that makes people buy more guns out of fear. And so the ideologues who use an article like that to, to show that the market is turning or whatever may just be uh, stoking more gun sales. The other thing I wanted to talk about that I put next to the story on a little sheet was those those hmm. ads from the, um, yeah. the anti-gun ads from the Sandy Hook Promise group. Did you get the chance to watch that ad this week by any I, chance? I did, the, the back to school ad where I got oh, my new shoes. my God. Yeah. I, first yeah. of all, I got the chills the first time. The The second yep. time I watched it, I teared up a bit. And 
Um, the third time I watched it, I just sort of stared blankly at the screen after it was over because it was so impactful that it, it just resonated so much. You got these, these kids talking about, my mom got me these new headphones because they helped me study in the library. And I got my, whatever, I got my new backpack because I'm ready to go back to school. And then like a, it's so well done. Like the school shooting breaks out and you can start to start, start to hear the, the shots in the background and the kids like, my brand new shoes are going to come in handy. And he starts running away from the shooting. Right. And then there's another girl yep. that's like, Oh, my new shirt can really come in handy too. And she's using it as a tourniquet to tie off this other girl's leg. And then the very last scene is this girl sitting on top of a toilet with her phone saying, Oh, I finally got a new phone so I can stay in touch with my mom. And she's, she's texting her mom. I love you. Right. As the shooter walks into the bathroom and that's sort of the end of the commercial. And if that doesn't hit you as a human being, then you're not a human being. And so it's a massive debate. It's a massive issue. What do you what do you do? I mean, these ads are clearly resonating with people like me who are as staunch a proponent of the of the Second Amendment as there is. But at the same time, you can't have people running in and, and shooting up dozens of your your country's kids on a seemingly weekly basis. And so not a lot of answers you're going to hear from me other than to say I can give you my personal experience. So this very week, my daughter is three and a half years old. Next mm. next year, we want her to go to, to preschool uh, like like three days a week. And so we're starting to take the tours. We're starting to email the principals. We're starting to do the research, this and that. Right. And so um you know, these 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 uh, administrators have got to be getting questions from parents like me. Like, I've never had a kid in elementary school. I know you have. But, like, um, are these parents asking about active shooter drills? Are they concerned that that, like, fosters more fear or is not really uh, a great combatant to um, reducing the amount of shootings, but rather just responding to them and, and sort of like getting under your desk in the sixties when the, when the Russians were going to nuke us, right. It just makes, makes the body count easier afterward. That's sort of what these, like these defense drills do go into your desk and you can get shot there. And it's easier for us to count your dead body when you're all lined up in a row under the desk. And so a tough, tough, tough issue. Um, I, I'll tell you where we're at just in, in cursory research is we're leaning towards private school, right? Who wouldn't if you if you had the means to? I was looking today at 25 percent of of schools in this country are private, but only 10 percent of schools, 10 percent of kids are in a private school. Does that make sense? So a quarter of the schools are private, but only 10 percent of kids are in private school. Ninety six percent of school shootings happen. Uh, 94 to 96 percent happen on public school grounds. And so when you look at that statistic and you say, well, I have the means to put my kid in private school where only four to six percent of the of the school shootings happen. Um, you know, we're going to tour a couple of private schools in the next couple of weeks. But it, that that doesn't solve the issue for anyone else. And, and it sort of opens up a, another issue, which which I had never really thought about as a, as a father before. And that's like um, or even as a citizen is. What's with the the public schools and the and the shootings and, and why not in the private schools? I haven't really. I'm sure there's been research that that I haven't read and and I'll try to to, to read some of that. But there's there's something there, right? Why are 94 to 96 percent of the shootings in public schools? Yeah, I and I haven't dug into the data enough to give you an intelligent answer. I just um, I'll respond by saying this. You know, I have my three boys. My youngest is 11. Um, you know, he's in junior high now. I have a 16 year old in high school and yeah, you know, I've had, I've, I've talked about this before. I've, I've had to have conversations with both of them, um, about what to do if something like this happens. And the bottom line is there's not a lot you can do. You run away from the gunshots. You call us immediately. 
And then <laughs> the truth is you cross your fingers and you hope that the school resource officer, if your school has one, um, doesn't run the other way. And you hope that they're in a position to, 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 to be able to take someone out. You know, we had a situation here and I live, you know, in uh, just outside of Austin, um, you know, in, in a suburban, relatively well-off community. And, you know, we have resource officers in front of the school and, and, you know, the school does a great job of implementing all sorts of security checks to where you can't just walk into the school and say, Hey, I'm here to pick up my kid. Oh, and by the way, let me start shooting shit up. Um, but we had a situation this week, you know, where we got a notice from the school saying, you know, we had a gentleman that walked onto our campus pretending to be a student. He was clearly not. He was an adult. Um, and, and, and luckily, the resource officer spotted him outside. He was denied entry because he didn't have the proper identification to get into the office. Um, and, and, and so, you know, my follow-up question to, to the administration was, well, was this gentleman armed? Did this person have priors? You know, and they couldn't answer that at the time because it had just happened. But um, what do you do? Uh, this is America in 2019. There isn't, th this has gone so far off the rails that there isn't just one answer. It's going to be 10 action baby steps that hopefully lead to cumulative results, right? It's going to have to take you know, a, a restructuring of our mental health approach here in this country and quit treating that like a crime. It's going to take a, a restructuring of how we approach um, drug offenders whose only crime is being addicted to drugs. It's going to take um, the way that we sell ammunition and who is able to buy that ammunition and in the amounts and quantities that they're able to buy that ammunition. It's going to take um, the implementation of something you touched on before, um, smart gun cases, right? Um, there's, there's all sorts of small things that we can do that I do believe will add up, not just to prevent mass shootings, but to prevent accidental shootings. How many stories have we heard of, you know, the six-year-old kid that, that, that walks into his dad's or mom's room and sees, you know, the handgun that was left out and, and decides to play shoot him up and ends up shooting himself in the head and dies. Yep. We've seen Lots of those accidental shootings, so many things that can be prevented um, by taking some of the small steps. And again, um, um, I'm an optimist when it comes to the youth leading that charge. I don't believe we're there yet. I don't believe there's the political will yet in this country, not by the people, but by the politicians. I don't think that is there yet. We can't do the small things. Corporations are stepping up. Look, when fucking Walmart is the bastion of integrity when it comes to handguns and ammunition and, and AR and in Colt. I mean, come on, come on there. We, we got a long way to go everybody, but I'll say this, you know, the people on both the right and the left that are elected to pass laws that allow us to protect ourselves in a reasonable way, um, are not doing their jobs. It's, it's, it's that simple. And we all know why, and we don't have to get into, it. we've talked about lobbyists and the money in politics, but you know, it, it, it's going to take everybody chiming in and pitching in and voting these assholes out of office and bringing in people that can actually work together uh, by in a bipartisan way and offer at least start with some smaller, smart solutions. It's very complex, as as you said, and it's not lost on me that it's a relatively recent phenomenon as well that started in or around the mid 90s, let's say, with Columbine, but probably aligns nicely with um you know uh a lack of wage growth for the middle class and the lack of upward mobility and the need of parents to work 
multiple jobs to provide for their families, thereby not spending as much time with their children. Yeah, children. Look at that. Look at that Freudian slip right there. Um, America 2019. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. And so. <laughs> yeah, it's so top of mind that you think children and you think killings and that like, yeah, Freudian slip, Freudian slip, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, it's cultural, I guess, is what I was trying to say. It's, yep. it's obviously guns and, and bullets are, are a part of it, but you touched on the mental health and you touched on other things, but it's also about opportunity and optimism and thinking there's something to live for and, and thinking things are going to get better. If you talk to people like when I was in middle school and I was, and I was in high school in the late nineties around the Columbine time, but it was not like, um, I, you know, I could fight this kid after school or I could, you know, I don't know, throw a milk at him and lunch. Those are my options. Or maybe I could give him a, a wedgie or, <laughs> or try to fight for myself. But it's never like like shooting up the school was just never an option. Like it wasn't in the it wasn't like on the multiple choice list. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's crazy. Yep. It's uh, it, it's definitely a different time. I don't think it's a coincidence either that, you know, the, the, the shootings started happening right around the time that we as a country really a lot of us not me and my household, but a lot of us turned our kids over to the doctors um, prescribing all sorts of antidepressants. And again, you know, I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists, nut guys that just believes everything that he reads, but there's, there's, there, there is correlation with the way that we've drugged our kids. Like Adderall, Adderall, the legal meth, you mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. like Prozac back in the nineties, you know, the, the, uh, I think all of the Columbine shooters or a good per percentage of them were all on antidepressants, depressants, you know, that was, um, you know, the Prozac stage. And then that was followed by Zoloft. And then that was followed by the next thing. And again, it's all the, the same shit. It just takes on a different name, right? Which is how we started this whole podcast, right? QE, sugar daddy, Jerome, make it a rain. You call it whatever the fuck you want to call it an overnight repo sale that lasts a whole month. Um, Put whatever name you want on it. It's the shit is about to hit the fan is what that is. UFOs, unidentified aerial objects, you know, call it whatever you want to call it, people. You could double speak it all you want. Um, there are clear, clear, clear um, steps that we can take not to fix it. I don't, you know, I don't think it ever is completely fixed, but to try to mitigate it, to try to prevent it, to try to make it less so. Um, and again, we're not just talking about the extreme mass shooting um, that is becoming less and less extreme in this country, um, but also all the accidental shootings that happen that are just as heartbreaking. Um, and there is, there's a lot of common sense stuff that we can do. There's just no political will to do it right now. And hopefully that changes. And you talk about the drugs and then how they're responsible. And, and we did the the Prozac and the Zoloft and the, and the antidepressants. And I forget the number off the top of my head, how many Americans are on antidepressants, but it's tens of millions and so certainly uh, a mental health crisis and then and then really to, to put a bookend on it with um, how corporations get to say what they want and, and get away with things and and how that leads to uh, the suppression of the middle class and lack of wage growth because we're not reinvesting in our communities and our workers but instead doing share buybacks and then you have um, this whole Purdue Pharma thing separately responsible for an, for an entirely different health crisis and we're going to let them off scot-free and so um, that's just sort of ties it all together very nicely. Yeah, just a, a cursory search of how many Americans are on antidepressants. Think about this. One in six takes some kind of psychiatric drug, mostly antidepressants. 
one in six, and you yeah. got to figure a good portion 15%. of those babies. Yeah, yeah, and you got to figure one. You know, a good portion of those are kids who aren't eligible yet, right? It's insane. Maybe we can throw some pu- puberty blockers in there as well. Yeah, maybe we can throw some puberty blockers. One last stat for you guys um, and gals. Antidepressant use has jumped 65% in 15 years. And again, we're not talking from 1995. This is from 15 years ago. This is from 2004, right? So the baseline isn't zero. Um, The baseline was already pretty extreme back in the early 2000s. Um, So yeah, it's... um, it's, it's there's a lot of things to address in this country and this and on this planet. And I know there's 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 we could be here forever, but let's end it on a happy note. Japanese whiskey. It's not going to be happy. Um, ah, come on, Nick. <laughs> no, I'll try to find a happy story for you in the next 45 seconds while I'm talking about this. But no, this is bizarro world stuff. Japanese whiskey is fake. So um, in the past, you've seen it, the, the Suntory, <laughs> you've seen the Suntory rise to fame. You've seen the bottle and on the top shelf at your favorite bar with the Japanese letter on it. That's whiskey. You've heard about this phenomenon, right? Gerardo, I know I, you have. I have indeed. I have. Um, indeed. Well, it's fake because in America <laughs> and in Europe, there are, um, you know, regulations on what you can call bourbon. You know, the mash has to be a certain amount, whatever, whatever great corn or rye, whatever it is to be called a certain thing. And certainly the same in uh, Scotland and Ireland where, where the process matters and the ingredients matter as to what you get to call Irish whiskey and what you get to call scotch. Well, not so in Japan, which is not necessarily a whiskey culture, as we all know, they're a, <laughs> a sake culture, but hey, that's neither here nor there, I guess, in global markets. So there's no regulations in whiskey. And so um, you got you got these Japanese whiskey companies. I'll put the article up in Bloomberg. Some of them that have only been in business for 12 months selling 18-year-old aged whiskey. Can you think about that for a second? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and so someone smarter than me. Like the Impossible Burger, right? This and, is the Impossible Whiskey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Started doing the research and, and pulling the, the thread on the sweater to see where all this led and come to find out um, basically the imports of American and Irish and Scottish whiskey to Japan have significantly increased in the past decade. You want to tie it together for me? Have I given you enough information yet? Or do you no, need I'm, to- I'm, I, I, yeah, I want you to do it because it's going beautifully. So the Japanese whiskey companies, <laughs> who are currently the most popular whiskey companies in the world, serving Give up, it to me with sarcasm, Nick. Give it to me with sarcasm. Serving <laughs> That's what up, I was looking for. <laughs> serving up what whiskey snobs would tell you is the best whiskey because of the processes that you just have to taste because the Japanese are doing such I a fine it. job of making this new whiskey. They're selling you the fucking scotch. <laughs> Society gets the whiskey it deserves. <laughs> unreal. Unreal. They are selling, you, that up. They are selling <laughs> you the scotch with Japanese characters painted on the label. Unreal. Um, yeah, I, I should not be surprised, but you would think that at some point, the $4,000 bottle of whiskey, Japanese whiskey, um, would come with some sort of guarantee, right? You can't make it up. When I read that the one-year-old company was selling 18-year-old whiskey, I almost fell out of my office chair. <laughs> that brings me to my next question. We'll wrap it up with this because it's going to be a good laugh. Um, 
Have you had an Impossible Burger? I haven't. Um, we were at a restaurant For yesterday where there was one on the menu. Um, it was a Beyond Burger they were serving. It wasn't a fast food restaurant, which is, I guess, speaks to the trend. They were serving it at an actual like fast casual restaurant. But no, I haven't had one yet. Have you? I have not. I am on a mission this week to try one. I will be open-minded. I will go have one. My favorite burger joint in Austin, Hop Dottie's Burger Bar. Um, just put one on their menu or on its menu, and I plan on making a pit stop this week, and I will report back um, and let you know what I think. I'm hoping I like it. I'm, I mean, I'm not going into this saying, man, this is bullshit. I think it's bullshit, but uh, I'm hoping I like it. We'll see. I'll let you know. And I'll, I'll really leave it off on a funny note and a, and, a, and, a, and a positive vibe for this week. You know what else I saw today? You know how always – Every Halloween season, there's like a new trendy outfit that's like the Halloween costume of the season. You know what's hot seller so far this year? <laughs> what's the hot seller? The sexy Beyond Meat Burger. <laughs> I'll put there, a link. Can we put a link up for that? Oh, I'll put a link. I have to see the sexy Beyond Meat Burger. That might go well at the costume party. I plan on uh, <laughs> All in this bizarro world. Uh, so, so, hmm. So, so let me ask you this. Like, is it a male girl, costume or a female costume? Well, I don't think it's um, gender appropriated, but I'm thinking, you know, what all the kids are saying these days, if you got a nice female wearing it, you know what the line could be, Gerardo. Oh, girl. <laughs> well, I was thinking the other way around. Oh, girl, you're looking like a snack. I'm thinking like, you know, two nice female buns and hey, somebody's got to be the... <laughs> Fake meat, fake news. Fake meat, fake news. Episode 37, Bizarro World. I'm Gerardo Del Real with my co-host Nick Hodge. Love each other. Be nice to each other. Say something nice to someone you don't know. Don't be creepy about it. But go be nice to people that you're not normally nice to and see if you get something back, man. It might make the world a better place. One person at a time, everybody. Enjoy your week. See ya.